The music is provided by Calvary Quartet. You can have more of their music at calvaryquartet.com or log on to our website at gospelbaptistchurch.com. Matthew 24, 21, 25. Let me read it real quickly, and we'll stop on that last verse, verse 25. And I'll not be long today, but I hope you listen. For then shall be great tribulation, such as was not since the beginning of the world at this time. No, nor ever shall be. I can only say this. When, when uh, God says something like that, you better sit back. He's talking about the tribulation period to come, the seven years, the 70th week of Daniel, seven-year period, broken up into two segments, the last part being more severe than the first part, first half. But it's coming on this world as sure as the first day was declared. It is coming. Now, we may have had bad things happen in this world. World War II with the War of Wars. I mean, I couldn't imagine anything worse than World War II, but this is worse. He said, son, the beginning of time, nothing's ever happened like it's going to happen in this coming time of tribulation. And even to the point where he said, except those days should be shortened, there should not, no flesh be saved. But for the elect's sake, those that are saved during that period, those days shall be shortened. What does that mean? God had that period, I believe, to be seven years. Had it been any longer than seven years, the judgments that were, were are involved in that seven-year period were so severe it would take out the entire population of the world. In fact, in the book of Revelation, the judgments that we already know about, the 21 judgments, the seal, the trumpet, and the vile judgments that are already mentioned there that are seven and seven and seven, uh, take out about three-quarters of the world's known population at that time. That's how severe it is. So it's a time like never before, it's never happened since, never will happen again. Then if any man shall say unto you, Lo, here is the Christ, or there, believe it not. And that's why when David Koresh came by and said, I'm the Christ, and I heard him say it on a tape. David Koresh, some of you remember that old boy. I didn't believe it, because he wasn't the Christ. I heard Jim Jones on a tape say the same thing. Down, Took a bunch of followers down to South America and all committed suicide together. Jim Jones said, I am the Christ, and he was not. There have been people since Jesus, he said, after me shall many Christ come, saying, I am the Christ. He said, don't worry about that. When I come, you're going to know it. And there's not going to be anybody doubt it's me. You're not going to be guessing, am I the Christ? You're going to say, this is Jesus. Because it's going to be, when God does something, he does it to where you don't have any question whether, you're not going to have to guess. For there shall arise false Christs and false prophets, and shall and, and and notice the next phrase there, and shall show great signs and wonders. Now you're talking about Jesus made everything. He said these signs and wonders that these false prophets and false Christs are going to show, 
they're going to be great. Insomuch that if it were possible, they'd even they should even deceive the very elect. But the reason they can't deceive the very elect is because those that have been those that have trusted Christ their Savior and been born from above, as Jesus said, born again. You have the Holy Spirit, and God places in us Himself the Holy Spirit of God, now making us the very holy of holies, a temple that when Jesus was crucified and He said it was finished. The Bible says that veil that kept everybody out of the holy holies except for the high priest just once a year. And that was after he sacrificed for the nation and blood for himself. He could enter in once a year in that place and and sprinkle the blood on the mercy seat for the nation of Israel and for God's children. Now that it was it was figuratively and really broken by being ripped, Bible says, from the top to the bottom, from heaven to earth, that which held us out of the holy of holies was taken away. What was that sin? When you come up under Christ and you ask Jesus to save you, the Bible says your sins are washed away. Far as the east is from the west, so far hath he removed our transgressions from us, turning him even behind his back, burying him in the deepest ocean, and twice in the New Testament said to be remembered no more. That's why you husbands and wives, when you fight, you shouldn't bring up the past. Naughty, naughty, naughty. If Jesus don't bring up my past in front of me, how much less should my wife, amen? All the men said. This is a male-driven church, if you ever wondered. Buddy, when, when Jesus forgives you, you're forgiven under the blood. I think somebody stole the Nick's bike. We got I'm sorry, Nick. You'll have to ride. And then I want you to notice there in that verse 25, and that's our text, Behold, I have told you before. Behold, I have told you before. That appears in another place I'll show you in a moment. The acid test for prophecy is whether it comes to pass exactly as predicted. God prescribed, all the way in the Old Testament, a test for all who claim the gift of divine prophecy. Take your Bibles, if you want to, to Deuteronomy chapter 18, verse 21 to 22. If you'd like to get this sermon later, you can go to iTunes and type on Gospel Baptist Church, and you'll get our podcast in a week. I believe this will be up or less. There's about 300 of them on the on the iTunes now, or you can go to our website at gospelbaptistchurch.com and load them up. Deuteronomy 18.21 says that if thou shalt say in thine heart, how shall we know the word which the Lord hath not spoken? That's a legitimate question. When a prophet speaketh in the name of the Lord, if the thing follow not, nor come to pass, that is the thing which the Lord hath not spoken, but the prophet hath spoken presumptuously, thou shalt not be afraid of him. Uh, a little other place there in Deuteronomy, it talks about that if the prophet speaks and it does not come to pass, take him out and stone him, kill him. Uh, there sure would be a lot less TV preachers today if that was if that'd go on. Because this is abused in my lifetime. I'm 64 years old. I've seen this thing abused over and over and over and over again. People saying, I'm a prophet saying stuff, but it doesn't happen. Now, the Bible says if it doesn't happen, it wasn't God that did it. Because when God speaks, 100% of the time, without exception, it happens. 
Well, I'll tell you one thing. This, was, this rule would keep in check the false prophets if it was enforced. It did in Israel. Think about it. If somehow you somehow felt led of the Lord to say uh, that this is of God and you want to make some sort of prophecy, you may sit back and hesitate a second and say, now, wait a minute. Is this really God telling me this? Am I willing to lay my life down for what I'm just about ready to say? Because if I say this from presuming of my own spirit, and I'm somehow confused, I think it's the Holy Spirit. Listen to me. Let me give you a common sense warning. I hear a lot of people say the Holy Spirit told me, God told me, the Lord told me. I'd be real conservative about that. I knew if you thought that you were going to lose your life if it didn't happen exactly as you said, you would know or be at least pretty sure this is God talking. In the bigger picture, prophecy is used of God to verify his words versus the sea of false words out there. Uh, This is found in Revelation chapter 19, verse 10. Let me read this. And I fell at his feet, this is John, to worship him. And he said unto me, See thou do it not. I am thy fellow servant, and of thy brethren that have the testimony of Jesus. Worship God. So the, the person that was showing these some of these things to John in the book of Revelation, the things to come, prophetic things, uh, John was so overwhelmed by it, he falls down on the guy's feet. The guy said, Oh, no, 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 no. And every legitimate individual in the Bible that had that happen, he he said, Don't no 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 no. Don't fall down on my feet. I'm just like you are. I have a testimony of Jesus. Worship God. Worship God. For the this is the phrase I want you to notice. For the testimony of Jesus is the spirit of prophecy. In other words, God is the only one powerful enough with omniscience, omnipotence, uh, uh, omnipresence that can predict the future and it actually exactly happen. You have to have some gifts like foreknowledge and all of the other. Uh, of the power that he has and the understanding he has to make things happen like that in the future. Wow. I mean, to be honest with you, I don't know what's going to happen this afternoon. I think I do. I got some plans. We're going to go out and maybe have some barbecue. We may get there in a doggone barbecue place to be burnt down. Then we're going to eat at some little slummy place over on the 29. But it has great food. Among all the holy books in the world, the Bible stands absolutely without parallel. Now, I am not blowing smoke here this morning. There are no challengers. I've spent my life, my adult life from 18 years old, studying the Word of God, going to school, getting educated, being around smarter people than myself. No challengers. There's nothing close. There's nothing with prophecy in it anywhere close to the Bible. I think the Quran has two or three prophecies. The rest of the holy books have very few, if none. The Bible has, yea, over a thousand specific prophecies in it, covering a span of 3,500 years. 25 has been estimated. 25% of the Bible is made up of prophecy. That's a lot. I must have offended somebody already. Just got going. 50% 
of that 25%, which is a large number of the, of the Bible, 25% is prophecy, 50% of that has already been literally, normally fulfilled in the language it is spoken. There remains, it's been said, some 500, as some would count, prophecies yet to be fulfilled in our Bible. 500 have been fulfilled. The fulfilled prophecy has been fulfilled exactly as it was prophesied in a, in a literal, normal sense. Now, it makes sense to me that if 50% of the prophecy in the Bible has been fulfilled in a literal, normal sense, does that make sense that the rest of it's going to be fulfilled that way? Does that make sense to you? It does to me. And so the largest chunk of our prophecy is at least a fulfilled prophecy really was around the first coming of Jesus Christ and all that that involved. In a book that everybody ought to have in their library by Josh McDowell called Evidence that Demands a Verdict, written in, it wasn't written, it was compiled in the 70s. Uh, it It gives 60, just 61 prophecies concerning Jesus Christ and his first coming that have been fulfilled that we know of. And for the sake of time, I felt it important that I list these for you, that at least you hear them, and many of you will recognize them as I speak them, as I go through this list of 61 fulfilled prophecies around Jesus Christ. Now, if you want to find that in his book, that's on page 150 and 174. But here they go, 61 exactly, literally, normally fulfilled prophecies, that he was to be born of the seed of woman, Genesis 3.15. Now, that's starting all the way back to Genesis. It's been said that every book, every all of the 66 books of the Bible, and every one of them has a scarlet thread of the Lord Jesus Christ woven in and through it. And I say, yes, it does. He, that he was to be born of a virgin, found in Isaiah 7.14. I told you I wasn't going to read the verses, but I'm going to read a few of them. That he was to be son of God in Psalm 2.7, Matthew 3.17. That he was to be the son or of the seed of Abraham in Genesis 22.18. He was to be uh, of the seed of Isaac in Genesis 21. The seed of Jacob in Numbers 24. Of the tribe of Judah in Genesis 49. He was to be part of the family line of Jesse, the father of David. He was to be of the house of David. He was to be born in Bethlehem. Boy, what a prophecy that is in Micah 5.2, exactly where he was born. Do you know Bethlehem's just a little village outside of Jerusalem? How could anybody 500 years ahead say that the Messiah is coming and he'll be born in this little village of Bethlehem? For 500 years, how would you even know the place would exist still? Because America's not about half that old. And look at how we've changed. Just unbelievable. It's hard for me not to stop. He was to be presented with gifts as a wise man in Psalm 72. Uh, he was Herod would kill the children in Bethlehem uh, two years and younger. That was prophesied and fulfilled exactly. His, he, that he would be preexistent, that he shall be called Lord. He should be called Emmanuel. He should be called a prophet. He should be called a priest. He should be called a judge. He should be called king. The special announcement of the whole, by the Holy Spirit of his birth, that was prophesied. His zeal for God was prophesied. Preceded by a messenger, John the Baptist, that was prophesied. 
Um, the ministry, his ministry would be begun in a place called Galilee was prophesied and fulfilled. His ministry would consist of a ministry of miracles. That was prophesied and fulfilled. He'd be a teacher of parables. He was to enter the temple. He was to enter Jerusalem on a donkey fulfilled. Stone, he would be a stone of stumbling to the Jews. He would be a light to the Gentiles that he would actually resurrect from the dead, that he would ascend into heaven, that he would be seated on the right hand of God, that he'd be betrayed by a friend. How could you do that? How could you say that? Sold for 30 pieces of silver. How in the world could you say something like this so many hundred years in advance? Money would, that money, that 30 pieces of silver would be thrown into God's house and that 30 pieces of silver would buy a potter's field uh, where poor people would be buried hundreds and hundreds of years ahead of time prophesied and fulfilled exactly as it said. He would be forsaken by his disciples. You'll smite the the shepherd and the sheep shall be scattered. And I'm, I'm sorry, I, I'm having trouble going through these. Uh, he'd be accused uh, by false witnesses. He would be dumb before his accusers. He would be wounded and bruised. He would be smitten and sm spit upon. He would be mocked. He would fall under the cross. His hands and feet would be pierced. He would be crucified with thieves. He would be made intercessor for, for his persecutors. Father, forgive them for they know what they do. He would be rejected by his own people, hated without a cause. His friends would stand afar off from him. People shook, would shake their heads at his, at his crucifixion. They, he would be stared upon. They looked upon him whom they pierced. The garments parted and the lots cast for his clothing was prophesied and fulfilled. He would suffer thirst. He, he would be offered gall and vinegar, which was a painkiller, which he, he rejected. He, he would be forsaken. He would cry out that he would be forsaken. And of course, as you know, my God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? He committed himself to God. Bones would not be broken. How could you control that? His heart would be broken. When they pierced him, the Bible said blood and water came out of his heart. Medically speaking, people say that's of a, of a swelling of the heart and blood around the uh, heart sac. His side would be pierced. How could you control that? Darkness would cover the land. He would be buried in a rich man's tomb. These are just 61 specific prophecies that were fulfilled around the life and the, and, the, and the crucifixion of Jesus Christ and his resurrection, eventual ascension into heaven. There's no other book like that. There, when people say, I don't believe the Bible, they don't understand what they're saying. And 99 out of 100, maybe I've never even met one that ever actually studied the Bible in, in, in honesty before they said they didn't believe it. Most of them have read a little bit of Genesis. They came down through the first genealogy and said, whoa, I don't get this book. This is crazy, and threw it down, never went back to it. I'd hate to have a show of hands here today as you that have come to church at Gospel Baptist. If I ask you how many of you have carefully and honestly read every word of the Bible at least one time. Now I'm talking about one time in your life. I would not want to see the folks that have not read it yet. Some object that these fulfilled prophecies were deliberate on Jesus' part. The liberals, by the way, the liberal is a crazy man. How do you know a liberal? But when their mouth's moving, uh, they're lying. And they often, it's what they don't say. Liberal. 
They said, oh, you know, when Moses went across and he lifted up his rod and the Red Sea departed and they went across on dry land, they said that was six inches deep. They said that wasn't the Red Sea, that was the Reed Sea. Now, this is actually taught in theological schools, liberal theological schools in America. I'm not pulling your leg. They didn't go across the Red Sea, it was the Reed Sea, and it was about six inches deep. So God did some sort of wind, parted it, dried it, and they went across it. The crazy thing is, how did all of those Egyptians drown in six inches of water? That's right. Some object that these were fulfilled deliberately by Jesus because Jesus knew the Bible. If he knew these prophecies about himself, then he could have something to do with their fulfilling. Okay, let's go with that a minute. The problem with that is most of those things that were fulfilled are totally beyond human control. How about like where he was born? If Jesus is just a man and he's claiming to be the Messiah, and he's, he knows the prophecies concerning the Messiah, and he is manipulating some fulfillments here, how's he going to manipulate he was born in Bethlehem? How's he going to manipulate when he was born? How's he going to manipulate the manner of his birth, that he was born of a, of, a, of a woman who said she was a virgin, and that he was born in this little town of Bethlehem, when really they were living up in north in Nazareth, that he would be betrayed, his manner of death, you can't control that. People's reaction. Hey, when them Roman soldiers grab a hold of you, you're not controlling the way they're going to treat you. The piercing of his side, impossible to predict. His burial, that it would be even a rich man's tomb, uh, absolutely impossible to predict. There's another objection to the prophecies of Jesus and around Jesus, that they were coincidental that they were an accident of chance. Now, in college, I took a course called uh, um, Probabilities. How many here have had mathematical probability course? Raise your hand. You know what I went through, didn't you? I mean, when I got into that mathematical probability course, my mind locked up. You ever got into something, your mind just wouldn't digest it? I mean, you try, they, they would run it by me, and it just ran off of me like, like, like water off of a duck. And, and I thought, wait a minute, this ain't making sense to me. Well, I started going to the teacher. teacher said, any of you that have any trouble with the concepts, this, just come and see me. So I started going to see the teacher. I'm a senior in college. I feel like, I feel like an elementary student who can't understand how to write or how to spell. So I'm going to this teacher, and I'm saying, I don't get it. And so the teacher tried to explain it to me. I'd go back. I started seeing that teacher three or four days a week to have that teacher explain to me. On and on it went. My head was just hot almost. And finally one day, boom, I've got I've got it! I ended up with a 4.0 in that course. It was either going to be a 4.0 or an 0.0. But I can tell you, I understand a little bit about probabilities, mathematical probabilities. The science of, and it is a science, by the way, it's a science that proves, or it can prove that there, and when you take these 61 prophecies, and I'm going to show you not that many, uh, you take many few, fewer than that. In fact, if you just take eight, eight of those 61 prophecies, just take eight of them, 
and say, what would it be? What would be the probability of anyone living down through history, even to this present time, fulfilling just eight of these prophecies? Here's what the probability of that happening would be. It would be one in 10 to the 17th power. Now, what is that? That's one with 17 zeros behind it. How, what is that number? It's beyond kazillion. There's no name for that. 17 zeros is there's no name for that. That's just past. Well, let me try to give you a figure in your mind. And, and, and I've used this illustration before because I love Texas. I love Texas. Texas, 982 miles when you hit the east side of Texas on Highway 10. It has a sign that says 982 miles. Some of the longest drive I've ever had in my entire life. I thought Florida was long. You hit Texas. Now, if you took Texas 982 miles from one side of Texas to the other side of Texas, that's not counting how high. And you took silver dollars. Remember silver Remember when dollars were silver? And you took silver dollars and you put silver dollars on the entire face of Texas, top to bottom, side to side, two feet thick. That's about that thick from, from here. That's about like right there. You took silver dollars on the face of Texas for two feet thick. And then you had somebody mark one of them. And you had that person randomly mix that one silver dollar in with two feet over the face of Texas. You, you mark that silver dollar and you have somebody randomly put it in those silver dollars. And then you take Bill Wolf and you blindfold him. And you say, Billy, go find, you can go anywhere in Texas you want to go, brother. But you can only pick up one silver dollar. And Bill says, okay. He goes in somewhere in Texas where he wants to go. Where would you go, Bill? Austin, Texas. He'd go to Austin, Texas. He'd reach down. He'd pick up one silver dollar. The chances of him getting that marked silver dollar are 1 in 10 to the 17th power. You get it? Ain't going to happen. Come on. Ain't going to happen. It's just not going to happen. The probabilities of just eight prophecies around Jesus being fulfilled literally, exactly, is impossible. In, 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 in a manner, of, it's impossible. But that's just eight. There are more than that. These 61 are just the tip of the iceberg. It's been said and been counted by people smarter than me that there are 300 prophecies that were fulfilled around Jesus. If you just took 48 prophecies and said, okay, let's say 48 prophecies were fulfilled, not 61, but 48 prophecies were fulfilled around Jesus, what would be the probability of that happening? That would be 1 in 10 to the 157th power. Now, two foot of silver dollars was one in 10 to the 17th power. 157, I, I can't even visualize it. I have no illustration. You have to go down to electrons. You have to go to something much smaller to try to visualize 100, one in 10 to 157. You've got to go to electrons, something you can't see. But I think you get it. I don't think I need to overkill on that. Uh, but that is exactly what Jesus did, is he fulfilled 
those end undisputably by witnesses over 500 just of his, of his ascension and resurrection. He was around and many of the folks and testimony over and over again to the place where his disciples were willing to die for that testimony. Now, when people are willing to die for their testimony, they're fairly sure of it at least. The minor prophets speak of Christ. The major prophets speak of him. The poetic books speak of him. The Pentateuch speaks of him. The law speaks of him. Every book in the Old Testament speaks of him. Prophecy is our confidence in the inspiration of the Bible. Let me say this. At 18 years old, I decided to believe this book as absolute truth and to follow what it told me to do. Now, I didn't throw my life on something without some sort of confidence some sort of logic, some sort of reason. The Bible invites all the examination you want to examine it. Examine it any way you want to examine it. Examine it linguistically. Go ahead back in the Hebrew. Go in a little bit of the Aramaic that's written in. Go into the Greek and examine it. Examine it archaeologically. Go back. It said the Hittites existed, and the old archaeologists of our day when I was a kid said, there is no such nation as the Hittites. The Bible is wrong. They found the Hittites, one of the greatest nations that they'd ever discovered, like similar to the Babylonians. On and on. Science. Bible-believing Christians are not afraid of science because God wrote this book and he invented science. And if God wrote this book and he invented science, then we don't have to worry about something being discovered contradict this book. And in 2000, now does this book have some enemies? You think? I mean, in the, in the political arena, if you say you believe Jesus, they think you're somewhere around Hitler. I mean, they're afraid of you like you, you got the plague. Oh, why, if a Christian got to be president, ooh, we may make murder wrong again. That would be horrible. Why, why, we may, we may, we may bring decency in, back into the television. We may not allow uh, topless, bottomless strip clubs. Oh, that would be a real loss. What would what scares you about the Ten Commandments? Nothing. I want to live by the people who believe the Ten Commandments. How about you? I want to live. I want my neighbor to believe the Ten Commandments. Thou shalt not covet thy neighbor's parley. Because them gold wingers will come and steal your Harley. They're, they're scared. They underneath everything they know. Too bad they don't get equal time. John chapter 14, verse 29. And now I have told you before and before I have told you before it come to pass. That when it is come, you might believe. Those are Jesus' words. And if I was you, I'd kind of mark that in my book. John 14, 29. Jesus' words. Red letter edition of the Bible, they're red. And now I have told you before that when it come to pass, you might believe. What is the function of prophecy is to give us confidence in for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, 
whosoever believeth in him should not perish but have everlasting life. I can have confidence in John 3.16 as being true because I see how God in the other places of Scripture is true. I see how he did something which is not humanly possible. It has to be supernatural. And it gives me a sense of confidence in his word. Now, if you believe this is a supernaturally, divinely preserved book that God himself has given us to help us, let me ask you some questions. Why don't you read it? Why are you avoiding it? And you know you're avoiding it. There's something inside of us, the old man, that doesn't want to get in this book. Have you ever felt that? That you want to read the Bible and you kind of got a thought, nah, I felt it. Who's talking to me? The old man, the old man in here, the old wicked, vile Adam, the old the anti-God spirit in, that is in every one of us called the carnal nature. I want to read the Bible. I hear all kinds of phony baloney excuses, but let me tell you, you get in this book and you begin to you begin to get in this and put your face down in front of it, and the the the, the image of Christ which is in it will begin to reflect in your in your life through your eyes, and your eyes will lighten up, your face will lighten up, you'll get a spring in your step, you'll get a smile. It's not everything's gonna go rosy in your life, but you know you've got something that those without Christ do not have. You realize the treasure you have in your hand? And then after you read it, let me ask you another simple logical question. If this is the supernatural book that it proves itself to be, do you heed what you read? Because when I was 18 years old, I said, I'm giving my, my life to Christ, and I said, I'm going to heed what I read. And I didn't know what was in there, but I began to read it, and when it said, do so, I said, okay, that's it. I'm going to do it. I begin to heed what I read. It makes sense. There's no other holy book in the world close to the Bible. God inspired this book. He preserved this book. It's not hard for God to do that. You can trust all the fulfilled prophecy yet to come, too. Woo, doggies. The Lord himself shall descend from heaven with a shout, with the voice of the archangel and the trump of God. The dead in Christ shall rise first. Then we which are alive and remain shall be caught up together in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air, and so shall we ever be with the Lord. I trust that verse. And I'm looking for that verse. Because everything else I've looked at has been trustworthy. Prophecy is to help give us a sense of confidence that this book is not some harebrained, man-made, thrown-together uh, thing. Brother, if, there, if somebody, the enemies of this book are vast and wide. If there was some contradiction, it was real, they would propagate that thing and put it in front of Time magazine, but you don't see it because it's not there. The silence of the liberals, deafening. <laughs> it's deafening. The book is worth your life. It's worth your giving of yourself to God for. Because boy, oh boy, the reward is unbelievable. Will you? Matthew 24, 25, and I end with this verse. 
Jesus, short words, one, two, three, four, five, six words. He says, behold, I have told you before. Father, help us this morning to understand the prophecy of Scripture and what it means. Help us in, some, in this little short message that you would help these dear folks through the blessed Holy Spirit teaching to understand that the Word of God is not just some book, not another book, it is the book that you wrote, 66 books written by 40 plus men over 3,500 years. And it doesn't contradict itself. Its prophecies are true. Not possible. Unless it was from heaven. Unless the God that spoke everything else into existence wrote it. And that book says, If you'll confess with thy mouth the Lord Jesus, and believe in thine heart that God hath raised him from the dead, thou shalt be saved. The very Bible that has done this in prophecy has also predicted and encouraged and welcomed you to come and trust him as personal Savior. Repenting of your sin, that means being willing to turn to God. That's what it means. It means being willing to turn from God. You can't have your feet in both places. The Bible says he that loves the world is an enemy of God. Uh, if, you, if you love the world, you're not a friend of God. For this world passes away the lusts thereof, but he that doeth the will of God abideth forever. 1 John chapter 2, verse 15 17, read it. Why don't you choose Jesus for, it's, for you don't have a choice. Right now you have a choice. Right now you have freedom of will. Right now you have your mind. There could be a day you don't have those things. Take it while you have the opportunity. Christian, don't hang your head down when the liberal starts whacking on the Bible. Don't you hang your head down. He'll be gone someday. Nobody will remember his name. They that do the will of God will abide forever. That's what it says, and that's what will happen. Father, help us today in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's stand again.